Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, it's uh, 4th of July week. Um, big celebration this last week. I guess you went out and did you see fireworks? Yeah, I did. I went to the Lady Annabellum, okay. um, the amphitheater yeah. over in Evans. Yeah. Um, saw a great show over there. And they also had like food trucks and live music. Nice. And nice. like 12,000 people there is what they said. 12,000 of your closest friends. That's right. It was it was busy, but it was great. It was, was a good time. Parking difficult? It was. It was. Yeah, it was tight, but I mean, it's it's a big enough city area that you yeah. can park in you know different spots so yeah quiet night for us over in Aiken. i um unfortunately got the uh the stomach flu on saturday and i was down and out for a couple of days so yeah, not good kind of quiet we heard the fireworks going around us but was um yeah it's been uh been a uh, it's a long week let's put it that way Did, so was um, boomer okay Your dog? yeah he was fine yeah okay. boomer boomer was good not too not too rough. we had the fan you know, turn uh, okay, up, the, so kind of the white noise drowns everything out good, yeah good. can't hear too much uh but uh, hey we have a good show lined up today um, we've got a lot of topics on artificial intelligence, uh, also known as AI. Okay. And um, so a lot, a lot of good um, information here. And, and so, uh, Matthew, I'll let you kind of talk about the first, um, you know, section that we're going to talk about. It's not directly related to AI. It's more about the, you know, the, the pending recession. But. Yeah, and, and this is from NPR, and it's basically asking, hey, we've been, you know, assuming that there's a recession on the horizon Yet stocks, the first two quarters of the year, um, finished very well. So what's going on with that? Why Why is that? And we'll get into that in just a minute. Yeah, and we're also going to talk about artificial intelligence and how it's going to change personal finance. And um, gosh, there's just a lot of um, possibilities and um, you know projections and then a lot of unknowns as well when it comes to AI and, and all industries. But we're specifically going to talk about personal finance um, as well and how that's going to impact it. So got a good, good show lined up, um, today. Hope you're going to stick around with us. A lot of AI discussion. And, um, by the way, I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey certified coach, have over 30 years of experience in planning for both corporations and individuals. And I'm Matthew Travis. I'm also a financial planner here at the firm and have been here about five years now, a little that's over five years. Yeah. You got your CFP as well. Yeah, that's right. A couple that's years cool. ago. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So we're glad to have you listening today. Every every Friday morning, we put the uh, podcast up and uh, you can go to our website, which is moneymd.net and listen to the podcast, or you can go to iTunes. A lot of folks listening through iTunes and uh, go, go to our website, check it out. If you've never been out there, moneymd.net, we have a lot of good tools Got one in particular, a form that you can document your your financial uh, assets, uh, phone numbers, account numbers, and so forth. Just kind of a roadmap for your for your family um, uh, in the uh, event of an untimely you know de- uh, death. So that's something to to take a look at. And uh, so we're going to start off our show with the financial uh, fact of the week, and this is a a personal story. But uh, the financial fact is, you can actually lose all of your money if you invest in an individual stock, because it can go bankrupt, right? right? And so that's, that's kind of, some people say, you know, investing in the stock market is like gambling. And it is when you invest in individual stocks. So one of my prescriptions earlier in the year was to go through your financial records and purge them. And so I did that. I followed my prescription and I had uh, tax returns back to 1992 wow. that I got rid of. 
couple of years You're ago. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you. you didn't have to go through all that stuff. I and and that. one of the financial files, I, I came across a purchase of Pan Am Corporation stock. What's Pan Am? Yeah, right. Good. <laughs> Used to be like the the airline back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And um, they weren't doing so well. So I believe I got this money from my grandmother. And um, back in 1991, I purchased 1,200 shares. Man, I thought that was a big deal. 1,200 yeah. shares. It was 75 cents per share. So I got 952 shares. Wow. Yeah. So I felt really good penny about stock. it. Yeah, basically a penny stock. And it turned out to be a, a, a bad stock because it went bankrupt. So this is a statement from 1991 that shows the purchase. And then I have another statement in, uh, from 1992, about a year later, and then I have a note on there um, of uh, March the 24th, 1993. So it said, spoke to agent on that date. He said the company is in bankruptcy and is no longer trading. And Matthew looked at this and said, there's an NA on the price. So not, not applicable. So yeah, I mean, investing in individual stocks um, is riskier than investing in mutual funds or ETFs, you know, large grouping of stocks. They can, they can go sky high, but they can also lose their entire value. So don't recommend that, but, um, you know, I'm going to hold on to this. This is, um, I remember this very vividly about purchasing it and then finding out that it was worth nothing. So certainly a, a good life lesson. Wow. Yeah, it's hard. I'm sure that was hard getting that statement, but... It was, and it was money for my grandmother, and you know, I just felt like I had wasted it. So it was a lesson, lesson mm. learned, and it's something that uh, we can pass on to our clients and listeners at this point. So yeah. uh, we're going to switch gears here and talk about uh, an article out of NPR, What Recession? Um, you know, that recession word, Matthew, has been out there for over a year, and despite you know a lot of the warnings of doom and gloom i mean stocks have done very well the first half right and it has been just a crazy year um you know with regional banks collapsing us coming close to defaulting on its debt for the first time in history uh the federal reserve continuing to raise those interest rates uh, fairly aggressively but despite all that like you said the stock market surged in the first half first half of the year so what's up with that why is that and, you know, a lot has to do with the economy. Despite uh, widespread expectations that the U.S. could be headed for a recession this year, the economy has proved a lot sturdier than many on Wall Street had first forecasted. Yeah, there are other reasons, too. Artificial intelligence um, has helped lift the technology sector tremendously um, in the first half. All of that combined has meant that the uh, three major indexes, the Dow, the S&P 500, um, and the... Um, uh, I guess the EFI index as well, probably the Russell 2000 yeah, index. One. Yeah, they've, they've all, all the indexes have done well for the first six months. Um, and, um, you know, it's really turned into a bull market, meaning that they've surged more than 20% from their recent lows back in September of last year. But it's not all rosy uh, as the numbers seem to show. And there's a lot of uncertainty still about the path ahead. So here's a look at how markets stand and, and what can be in store for the rest of the year. Yeah, and there's, there has been a remarkable, remarkable change in sentiment from the start of the year. In January, economists and policymakers were warning about a potential uh, downturn, and that made investors conservative. Um, according to you know, a lot of reports and a lot of uh, insight, you know, we've, we've spent basically a year worrying about this recession and then worrying about these potential calendar events like the debt ceiling. And in that period of time, investors have grown increasingly cautious. 
They shoot away from risky bets and steered clear of cyclical stocks. And those are companies whose performance tends to be correlated to economic booms and bust. Uh, but the economy has, it has baffled many forecasters by proving, again, um, to be much sturdier than they originally expected. And that's helped markets weather tough events like the turmoil that enveloped the banking sector a couple months ago um, that, that we all were aware of. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the first time I've heard debt ceiling in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> Just disappeared, didn't it? Yeah. And, and so what do we call that? Like when, when something pops up and then it goes away? Noise. It's noise. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, and it's basically, you know, um, you know, Dimensional Fund Advisor has an excellent video on this. And uh, it's, you know, all these headlines popping up on the screen, all this chatter, all this, you know, people talking, and then they, they fade out the music and it's quiet. And they basically say, what is fundamentally tied to the investment returns? And it's, it's the expectations of these companies underneath it. So, yeah, it's just a lot of noise that we saw yeah. the first half of the year. Yeah. So the question is, is what's made the economy so resilient? I mean, there are a number of factors. The labor market has remained very strong uh, despite some high-profile layoffs. Uh, the construction sector has hummed along as well. Um, other companies like retail really have been reluctant to shed workers for fear they won't be able to hire them back. And consumers have continued to spend despite higher inflation. Um, they're splurging on things such as travel and eating out um, while cutting down on other expenses. Yeah, it's not only in the U.S. that we're seeing this, but other countries have done better than expected, uh, part and parcel by the lower in energy prices, uh, the easing of the pandemic restrictions, uh, and a no number of other factors um, you know, this is one of the biggest surprises is that we have seen a strong recovery in global growth. Um, now, despite these strong market gains, there's one troubling detail. The stock market's gains have not been broad based. <clears throat> and that's usually a sign that can give Wall Street some pause. Um, and this is centered around a lot of the technology that's come out that you mentioned with the AI. Um, this it's led to a lot of the surge in the shares of these companies um, you know, with the, the chip makers, NVIDIA, um, Qualcomm, and a couple other companies that are producing a lot of these technology technologies that go into the AI sector. Um, but as a dot-com bust in the early 2000s showed us, it can make the broader market vulnerable if that excitement for AI, AI suddenly reverses. And, and also, it's just risky to be in that one sector. No doubt. Um, much yeah. less just the the broader market. Yeah. Then this week, the Wall Street Journal reported that the uh, Biden administration is considering new restrictions on the export to China of chips used for AI. And so shares of those companies suffered. So so really for investors to become more confident, the gains that we've seen in AI that have really driven the first half of the market, they need to spread to other kind of companies which would be more reflective of a broader optimism about the overall market's prospects. Yeah, and, and the optimism comes from seeing these gains, like you just mentioned, in these other sectors. So yes, the AI, yes, the technology has done well, but the overall economy is tied more to than more than to just the technology. Sure. So yeah. that's that's the desire, that's the optimism going forward. Is it's it's the broader global economy and market that over time will 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 do well. Now at the year's midpoint, there's also worries that the banking turmoil will resurface after the implosion of some of these banks. Uh, many of the customers of smaller regional banks moved their money to larger institutions. Yeah, so a lot of the lenders lost deposits, um, which of course is key to a bank's business, and they, they lost them to higher yielding investments, such as money market funds. Um, those outflows from the smaller lenders have stabilized at this point, 
But analysts, you know, they're watching for signs of distress and doing tests and so forth. And Wall Street will get a better sense of how these banks are doing when lenders report their latest earnings um, starting this month. And they're also paying attention to another consequence of that collapse. Credit conditions have tightened since then, uh, which means banks are becoming more conservative about making loans to consumers and businesses. If that continues, it could have an impact on economic growth. Uh, Moreover, banks are still vulnerable to high interest rates because um, those higher interest rates can erode the value of the bond portfolios that many of these lenders have. Now, despite the gains um, that we've seen, again, in the first two quarters up to this point, some of the big trends in the economy haven't necessarily changed. Inflation has eased, uh, but it remains stubbornly high. And the Fed has signaled uh, clearly that it will need to continue to raise these interest rates, which will mean that the borrowing costs across the economy will continue to rise. So mortgages and loans will continue to get more expensive. It takes a while for higher interest rates to filter through the economy. So even as recession fears have subsided somewhat, they've not gone away completely, right? And I just a, a personal you know, um, perspective, and I've only been in this for five years, but that statement that these uh, recession fears have subsided somewhat, but they have not gone away completely, will be indefinite, <laughs> right? There will always be something that comes up that's like, ah, this could turn into something more severe. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we see the discipline of investing really taking effect to say, all right, that may be the case. We there, Recessions do happen and we expect them in mm-hmm. the planning process, yep, yep. but it doesn't mean that we should not invest because of the fear of them. Yep. We just need to have a plan in place when they do occur. Yeah, and don't let your emotions get the best of you. I mean, that we hear the... the the adage of, you know, it's different this time, or, or I have a feeling. It's like, well, no one knows how it's going to turn out. What we do know at history is um, sometimes events do turn uh, the markets negative because there's lower expectations for earnings, but it has recovered 100% of the time. It has never not recovered. Now, we all know that past performance doesn't guarantee future results, but um, the noise is there. It's like a beating drum. Every week, every day, there's something different replacing it. Just tune that out, be diversified, have a plan, build those negative years into your plan. And it, that's worked pretty well historically. Yeah. Yeah. Great article. Yeah. So we're going to uh, talk about the question of the week. This actually came uh, a question to um, Dimensional Fund Advisors, also known as DFA. That's our mutual fund uh, company partner. Um, and the question is, is can AI, can artificial intelligence be used to identify um, the best stocks to buy? Makes sense, right? You got yeah. a computer kind of crunching through all the data and the numbers. They should be able to identify outliers. Um, and uh, there is a a, um, a a ETF that was started back in ni- in 2017. So it's been around about five years, and it's called the AI Powered Equity ETF. And it employs IBM Watson's AI to analyze publicly available information to pick U.S. stocks that will outperform the U.S. market. It sounds very attractive until you look at the results. <laughs> and mm. the results of that fund, um, you know, about five years worth of data, roughly, they've made 35%, which is, which is okay. The index, um, Russell 3000 index, has made 73%. Wow. So just putting your money in that one index, you would have you had twice as much money versus using the AI Powered, and that's just a that's just a broad U.S. market index. It Russell is three thousand. That's right. That's right. It's just a very broad um, index. So, 
you know, AI is probably being used to pick stocks and, and it probably will become more sophisticated, you know, but I mean, no one knows which stocks are going to do the best, um, which industries, which drug is going to be, you know, created. So the, the answer is, is try to be diversified. Don't do individual stocks. Don't get too much in one sector. Um, we don't see AI being able to give you a competitive advantage on picking stocks. It's just, it's too complicated. There's too many factors out yeah. there. And the other thing that I've heard you say a couple of times in client meetings, which I think is spot on, is our retirement plans, we plan at a lower rate than we've seen historically in the markets. And it's not very, it's not a, you don't have to hit home runs to make these plans work. And so if you can be consistent in the in these broad-based indexes, mutual funds, ETFs that don't try to just hit home runs all the time and you hit singles and doubles on your returns, it works. Yes. And so that I think that's a big takeaway is, okay, yeah, AI can be helpful. It can increase, you know, in the future it can improve, but also it's just, it's just, you don't have to hit home runs if you are disciplined and diversified. Yeah. I had a um, client uh, call me up and said, Hey, I've got a stock tip and I looked up the stock and it's done really well this year, and I looked at the history. It's been, um, it started in two thousand and one, and it's down ninety four percent since it started. Oh my god! And so they're creating a a drug for cancer, and yeah. uh, they had some success early on back in the early two thousands, and you know people are trying to hit home runs with it, and yeah. they lost ninety four percent of their money. Um, uh, I lost one hundred percent of mine with Pan Am. Right, so. right, right, right. <laughs> So just be diversified, have a plan. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about our final um, article discussion is uh, how artificial intelligence uh, will change personal finance. And this is a, a segment done by Daniel May. Um, and Matthew, the biggest technology companies in the U.S., they're in an arms race to see who can capture um, the fast developing sector of artificial intelligence. And you may have tried AI tools like chat GPT or ge that generates text or something called D-A-L-L-D-E, Dolly. I've never mm. heard of that, yeah. um, which gem generates images. But if you haven't tried them out for yourself, you most certainly have read about them or heard about ChatGPT in, um, in the news. Yeah, and the scale of um, training compute um, or how quickly artificial intelligence can learn is doubling every six months. It's an exciting but uncertain time to be a part of this, um, this phenomenon. It's not clear exactly how AI will impact our daily lives, including how it could impact your personal finances. Um, and yet it also checks a lot of the boxes of being a disruptive technology, just meaning it enters lives uh, whether we want it to or not. Yeah, and we kind of look back at history a little bit. The internet definitely changed investing back in the early 2000s. I mean, the rise of the internet and the increasing speed at which people could find and consume information, change personal finance and investing. And before the internet, um, information was consumed through radio, television, newspapers, and books. I, I remember going to the, the library up at um, the, uh, South Carolina, up in Columbia, and they had, um, they had books, uh, value line, and I, they had stock pages, and you would look at it, and it was like two months old. And so wow. <laughs> just uh, remember that. So having someone in your life who, who knew about money, um, back then, whether it was a financial advisor or accountant, was extremely important, and it was the only way that you could get really answers to their quest to your questions about money. Yeah, and and obviously, I was born in a couple years after uh, that time when you were in college, and 
you know, we had a computer, but it was it was definitely different. But the the advent of internet, it put a nearly limitless amount of knowledge in the hands of everyone with a computer. Uh, all this free information about personal finance now allows Americans to self-manage their money until they reach a level of complication um, where a financial advisor may make sense. The internet is great when it comes to learning about index funds and Roth IRAs, but it can get very muddy uh, when you go into tax location, uh, tax loss harvesting, backdoor Roths, uh, estate planning, tax optimization, planning for college, so many other questions that really you need someone with some perspective to say, hey, we've seen this work out historically like this for other clients. It can work out for you in this way as well. Yeah, that's right. And artificial intelligence uh, feels exciting and novel in a similar way to how internet felt when it was in its early days. I mean, watching a computer generate a response to a question that feels like it could have been answered by a person kind of feels futuristic. It's like a super-powered version of an old search engine. Um, did you ever use Ask Jeeves? No, I didn't. It was a personal internet butler. It was there to answer any question that you had might have you know, day or night. So I remember using that many, many years ago. Yeah, and we're excited about the ways AI can further simplify your finances and save you time. Instead, you know, instead of spending time educating yourself about a financial topic you don't fully understand, you could ask AI uh, to explain to you in an easy-to-understand language you know, what question you have. More mundane tasks like managing your budget and taxes, uh, it will become easier through automation and, and personalized insight from AI. Uh, answers to basic questions will become easier to find and less time consuming, but will or does AI have all the questions? Yeah. And, the, you know, will it replace um, us, financial advisors, you know, CPAs? Um, the short answer is probably no. It'll probably change the industry and probably simplify it. But, um, you know, there's, um, there's probably going to be a need to have a person, like you said, with some perspective uh, I mean, AI is only as good as the data um, that's in there as well. It doesn't have years or decades of experience in finance. It can't really take into account feelings and different values out there. Um, you know, it doesn't knowingly provide false information, but it doesn't make uh, incorrect responses any less frustrating. Um, we've seen um, the new Bing, which is powered by chat GPT, confidently present wrong answers to basic questions like what is the current year and um, you know, we've also seen Google stock price drop because of AI, um, because it's, it's not fully developed yet. And so, um, this gentleman asked, um, uh, chat GPT, some basic questions on finance and money, and they came up with the wrong answer. Um, and the question was, is how much can I contribute to my 401k? And the answer that, um, chat GPT gave was, um, $20,000 for 2023. And that's not right. And it's not far off from the dollar limit, which is 22,500 if you're under 50 and 30,000 if you're over 50. But it's also never been $20,000. So I don't know where that 20,000 came from. Mm. And so the follow up question from this gentleman back to the chat GPT was, are you sure about that? I don't think that's right. And the uh, computer responded back, I apologize for the error in my previous response. You are correct that the contributions have increased um, for the 2023 tax year. The maximum amount that you can contribute is 20500 Well, no, it's 22500 So, you know, there's you got to get the right data. Um, and this stuff is still being built, right? But I, I do think it is going um, to help. Yeah, that's right. And to, to be fair, AI and chat GBT isn't trying to replace financial advisors. 
Uh, when asking for financial advice, it directs a user to a financial advisor at the end of nearly every question that was asked. Um, while it doesn't answer even basic questions correctly uh, all the time, it can give advice that would uh, be genuinely useful to those to new to personal finance, like the housing guidelines. Um, you know, how much should I spend on a house and, and different questions like that. Um, you know, there's general rules of thumb that this AI can go to different articles and pull out and summarize and, and disseminate to the listeners. But a lot of this information, again, it is generalized to the public and is not looking at the individual who's asking it, mm-hmm. giving them specific advice. That's something else to keep in mind. Yeah, there's so many variables and unknowns that go into something as complex as personal finance planning. It's, going, it's difficult to imagine AI replacing humans completely. And that goes for CPAs and lawyers, doctors, teachers. Um, you know, there's a lot of understanding, um, experience, emotional intelligence that people bring to the table. And where AI shines is when there's a better way to do this type scenario. It can be exciting really to kind of imagine what can be done with extra time and energy that you can automate some of the tedious and mundane tasks. So, uh, you know, I remember my parents spending hours every month balancing their checkbook and meticulously recording and reconciling every transaction. And uh, now budgeting apps can automatically import transactions. They can make balancing your budget almost fun um, for most people, not everybody, (laughs) but um, certainly much easier. And we don't know exactly what task or work AI will automate or make easier, but you know, there's a lot of reasons to be excited, not only in the personal finance area, but I think across the board, when you start looking at medicine and taking care of people and better ways of living with society, I, th- I think it's going to be a tremendous impact. I, no one knows what it's going to be and how it's going to impact it. So from an investing standpoint, we want to own some AI, but we also want to own you know, companies and industries you know, around the world because everyone is going to likely be touched by AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alrighty, so that leads us to the final segment, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, and this is this is a prescription that um, can be helpful if you are looking to reduce uh, some of your budget line items. One of the higher budget line items that we typically see in, in uh, people and, and in families' budgets is eating out, mm. and um, I think that is a joy for many people. And so there's a balance to this. You don't want to cut it out completely. But if you're looking to save some money, the question would be, how can you reduce this line item? Maybe if you go out to eat five days a week, maybe you cut it back to three, or maybe you cut it back to two. If you go out two days a week and you really are are tied on a budget, maybe you don't go out to eat at all. Maybe it's once a month and you really are disciplined on packing your lunch. Eating out um, can, I mean, now the prices are, it, it seems like they're 10 to $15 a you know, a meal at, at a, a cheaper restaurant mm-hmm. compared to, you know, two to $3 if you were to make your, your food and bring it depending on what you have. So you can save a lot of money if you, if you don't eat out. So that, that would just be a recommendation. If you're struggling with a budget, look at how much you're, you're eating out and eating out at restaurants. Um, that can be a good way to save some money. I can tell you when I started um, teaching the FPU class for Dave Ramsey many years ago um, and going through my budget, I really hit that, that line item really hard. And I took our um, eating out budget down to a hundred dollars. Now this was back in 2009 and, um, you know, two, two kids, you and Danielle, um, younger. So we used to go eat at Mexican restaurants frequently, mm-hmm. bring your chips, you know, unlimited chips. And oh, we yeah. could get out of there for about 25 or 30 bucks and do that a couple times a month. So yeah. you can spend a lot of time on that. That's for sure. So make sure you are watching that. And it is a place that you can, you know, cut to help you get to some of the other goals. So great prescription of the week. 
And that's been this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week on MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, MoneyMD.net. Send us your questions or give us a call here at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and I hope you have a great weekend. contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 